Hey, hey, Soma Church. This is Pastor Brandon. Uh, I am thrilled this morning to be able to reintroduce our church to one of my dear friends, Hannah Anderson. Uh, Hannah and I and Emily uh, have developed a great relationship over the past couple of years working together on a number of different ministry initiatives, both at Soma and, and Harbor Network. And uh, I'm really excited, Hannah, to be able to introduce you today as a visiting teacher at SOMA for uh, the next six months. This is kind of a bit of an experiment uh, for SOMA at least. This is something that is very common uh, to have visiting teachers or visiting theologians in uh, different kind of denominations or academic institutions, but this is something new for us. And so uh, just to be clear on what we mean by that, and then we'll introduce Hannah. Essentially what we're doing is uh, contracting Hannah to come and drop in with us and help really strengthen uh, the teaching ministry of our church, the theological development of our church, and to do that through mostly virtual right now, unfortunately, but hopefully uh, maybe some in-person opportunities as we get later on into the summer, um, using mediums like uh, podcasting and classes, workshops, content development forums, even some co-teaching with me on Sundays, um, really, again, just to, to amplify our, our teaching. And so, and I'm really excited to have you and wanted just to spend a few minutes uh, introducing you again to the church just so people know who you are, where you're coming from, and how and what you're excited about as you think about this opportunity. This conversation began months ago, and we began to think about this, and I think both of us had intersecting passions and, uh, and desires here. So tell us a little bit about um, you and kind of your, your family, your um, kind of home where you live, and, uh, and then kind of some of your work that you've done in the past in ministry. Well, first, let me say, Brandon, um, I am thrilled to be able to have this conversation with you and with you all there in the pews, Soma. Um, it is unbelievable to me what we can do in these moments, even if it's just virtually. Um, and as Pastor Brandon said, um, we've been able to work together um, on a lot of projects over the last few years, and it felt like God was just kind of giving us this new opportunity um, to maybe let other people benefit from the work we've been doing um, on these kinds of topics and teaching. But as Pastor Brandon said, this is virtual because I am in Southwest Virginia. Um, I am, I live in Roanoke, Virginia with my husband, Nathan, um, and our three kids. We have a 16-year-old Phoebe, um, Harry is 14, and Peter is 11. And we have spent as a family the last probably 15 years um, in ministry and local church ministry. My husband um, has been a senior pastor of smaller churches, smaller rural churches. Um, and I've served alongside him um, really with kind of grassroots boots on the ground ministry um, as pastor's wife and raising our family in that context. Um, but over the last few years, I'd say maybe the last eight or 10 years, God has really opened up um, a work for me um, in writing and speaking, particularly on the ideas of um, human flourishing and how we can live um, to the glory of God within sometimes are very broken context. So God has allowed that to run parallel to my work with um, my husband in the local churches, um, as well as raising our family um, in over these last, I guess it's been 20 years. We'll be married 20 years this year. Um, so that's what my kind of elevator pitch short story of who I am and what God has called me to do. Um, we live in a somewhat working class community. 
Um, and we were both raised in the country, both my husband and I. So that's kind of the space God has given us to be in. And I think it really shapes some of the ways that I enter into um, my work, my more my work more broadly. So you've written a couple books around uh, everything from discernment to the image of God to uh, most recently, The Turning of Days, which we'll talk more about on the podcast this week um, and be actually launching a podcast around here in the next couple of weeks uh, using that as a framework. Um, so I think of you like, you know, you're, I mean, you're a world-class theologian. I know you'd never say that about yourself, but you really are. You're a philosopher and an academic. Um, and yet, uh, you've served in the local church, and this is, I know, something that you've been excited about. You know, I, I, I think you've said before, Dorothy Sayers is your patron saint, uh, and, and, I, and I really appreciate her, and I think of you in a lot of ways in the same vein. She was kind of a very socially active woman who was writing, but also very much influencing the larger church body, and I know that's been a particular passion of yours is to take what you're doing and really be able to unpack it more deeply in the local church. So I'm just curious, you know, what are you excited about as you think about this opportunity here um, and, and some of the opportunities it brings to kind of deepen what you've been writing and teaching about for years? Well, I find myself in this unique position of um, loving the big picture, loving um, the work of theology and um, academic work and thinking more broadly, but also having a deep, deep passion for um, the work of the the local church and the the work of bringing these big ideas down to our real lives. So a lot of my work and in my books, as you mentioned, um, humble roots, made for more, um, all that's good. It was the work of of taking something that is often reserved for the academy, for those in the ivory towers, and saying, no, this has feet on the ground. This is meant for us in our churches. This is meant for our own spiritual formation. This is meant for us to know our God um, in the ways that he reveals himself. So I find that my work and my passion for teaching and communicating really comes at that crossroads where I, I think that a lot of times the, the rich, deep things about God in the scripture are sometimes um, maybe packaged up in ways that we can't access them. And so my work within the local church and my work um, more broadly in publishing really come to this head where I, I have a deep longing and a deep desire to see these um, truths of God um, made livable, made um, maybe take on flesh the same way Jesus Christ did, where, where the, the word of God is revealed to us in ways that make a difference in our lived lives, in our relationships, in our choices, in, our, um, in the way we love our neighbor and, and navigate life on this earth. Well, I'm again, so, so th beyond thrilled to have you joining us here for this next season. And I want to encourage those of you who are here watching and listening. Um, you can follow Hannah on Twitter, which is always super fun because uh, it's, she's, she's very uh, entertaining in her uh, critiques of what's happening uh, culturally and providing great commentary there. But also we'll have an email address. If you would like to contact Hannah, uh, reach her, and follow up on some of the things that we're doing, um, you can feel free to email that. We'll put all that in the News Weekly this week, her bio, um, and, and that contact information. But just for me to you, Hannah, we're really excited to have you. Thank you for agreeing to this opportunity. And um, we'll look forward to uh, some of the initiatives that we're rolling out here in the next several weeks. 
Well, thank you so much for the invitation and thank you all for the welcome um, and the enthusiasm about what we um, are going to see God do in the next few months. Yeah. Okay, for those who are staying on here, um, this the remainder of this will be kind of bonus uh, track material, uh, B-roll with uh, Hannah and I just talking through for the podcast a little bit more in depth, some of the things that we introduced here um, already. So uh, Hannah, I wanted to just kind of uh, take a few minutes and dive in a little bit more to your background and context. I think it's really interesting and obviously has profoundly shaped your ministry and your vision of human flourishing um, I'd love to just talk a little bit more about how you got involved in ministry um, and how you were kind of called to ministry, how this became a vocation for you. Um, tell us a little bit about the backstory of how you became Hannah Anderson, the, the writer and theologian. Well, I um, grew up in a Christian home. Um, I don't remember a time where I didn't know the name of Jesus. And I also had the opportunity to um, be really discipled in biblical literacy and Bible memory work. And so I don't, I just remember my entire childhood being um, just saturated with the word of God and, um, you know, the Christian faith. And it wasn't always perfect. I mean, none of our backgrounds are, none of our faith, you know, experiences are, and, and there are always things you have to look back at and, um, you know, sort through. But for me, um, I just remember being profoundly shaped by the scripture and by um, this call to, to, I guess it's ministry. I didn't know what to call it. It was just that I couldn't think of anything else that excited me as much as the scripture and the, the things of God. And I did not know what shape that would take. I had no sense of specific ministry calling um, I really didn't have a sense of any calling. I, I wasn't the type of kid or even teenager who knew what they were going to do in the world. Um, I just knew what I loved and what I went after. And so I ended up um, going to Christian college. I studied the liberal arts, the humanities. I have a background in philosophy, history, um, languages. As part of that, I had a core um, kind of uh, classes in Bible and theology because it was a Christian college. And along the way, um, I met my husband, Nathan, who was called to vocational ministry. And I remember very distinctly that I had very little interest in marriage. I, I didn't feel like it was a necessary part of who I was going to be or who I needed to be. But I remember when we met having a very profound sense of, oh, this is a person I can partner with. This is a person who our vocations are aligning, our backgrounds are aligning. We want the same things out of life. And God really drew us together um, in shared values and shared vocations. Um, and it was slowly both through my own passions and my own longings um, for the word of God and to do this work and my husband's calling that we found ourselves in uh, local church ministry we did early on spend a year overseas um, in New Zealand doing a church planning work. Um, we were there as kind of a sabbatical workers for the church planner. So we came, went over for a year. So a lot of our early married life was found within the local church. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. And the more it just felt like God confirming this is where uh, you belong. 
Um, and then over the years, as I was mothering and I had young children, um, I knew that that would not be a permanent, it, the, the, the amount of time I was giving to my family was going to change. Um, like they weren't going to be young forever. They weren't going to demand um, that much time and attention. And so I kind of had this window of recognition that, oh, I have gifts that are apart from my husband, distinct from my children, that I have a responsibility to cultivate. And it was when my youngest was about uh, two that I recognized that it was my uh, responsibility to assess my life, take ownership of it, and say, what are the things that God is calling me, Hannah? Not Nathan's wife, not my children's mother, but me, Hannah, to cultivate. And over the next few years, he led me into writing um, and speaking and the work um, that I do today. And it was just small steps of faith along the way to confirm that vocation. I still find myself somewhat surprised. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. Um, but I know looking back that it's been God's providence the whole time to be leading to this point, all the different features um, mm. over my life really makes sense now. Mm. Well, I didn't know that you guys spent time overseas. Um, and especially I didn't know that you spent time in New Zealand. I I'm curious if you guys learned the, uh, the, uh, the dance, like the, um, the yeah, the haka. I had, uh, one of my close friends in high school was, a was a, he did a student transfer thing from New Zealand. And so I got to know him and he loved doing the haka, but I'd, I'd be curious if you and Nathan know how to do the haka. We don't, but I will tell you, it took me about five years to read the fact that we were living in the United States and not New Zealand. Oh man. Yeah. It's beautiful country. And we had tried to go back a couple times, but God just didn't bring it together. Um, I, I yes, it, Nathan will tell you, it took me about five years to submit to God's will that we were not. <laughs> I'm really interested. You know, I think one of the things that you'll share in common with a lot of women at SOMA is that many of them are working, um, as a matter of necessity. I mean, it's really expensive to live in our neighborhood, but also I think just as a matter, as you said, of, of calling, um, and we'll talk this summer about vocation, which I'm really excited to do with you as we teach a series on kind of wholeheartedness in our vocations. But I'm curious, like what you learned, uh, in that process of trying to navigate being a wife, being a mother, those callings obviously are important, but also trying to carve out the space for yourself as a woman particularly in ministry where, you know, it's not always easy to gain access to resources, training, um, you know, influence. I mean, that, that historically, at, le at least in kind of the broader evangelical world has been, you know, just like women's Bible studies and, and kind of women's, uh, women's ministry, so to speak. And yet you're trying to carve out a space that's, or enter into a space that's much broader than that in your work. What were some of the um, challenges and what, what are some of the things you learned in that, that, you know, maybe helpful for other women who, I mean, I'd say in our church, it's mostly women that are probably right out of college, you know, up into like their mid to late thirties who are just beginning to kind of have a sense for their calling, but maybe feel like, you know, there's limitations or, um, you know, it's not as clear of a pathway for women sometimes as it is for men. Yeah. Um, everything you describe is exactly what I've experienced. Um, it's the limitations, both that are natural um, just the limitations of the seasons of life, uh, the limitations of, of calling, even juggling home and work and the different roles that we're called to, but it's also the limitations that are 
put upon us because of our broken context and in a broken world. And so for me, a, a couple of paradoxes that I've learned to live in, a couple of things that um, I, I've learned to accept and find, make peace with is the fact that it is a broken context. And so we're navigating um, vocation and calling within a space that is not ideal, which means that we have the uh, right or the, the need to question, to question what is, what is around us. And I don't mean just question the church. I mean, question the entirety of society, question the way that things are structured and say, does this value and honor what God values and honors? Does this value and honor my womanhood? Um, do these pathways and these paradigms and the things I'm being asked to do and the pressures I feel, are they natural or are they unnatural? Are they things that are being put upon me that God is not putting upon me and yet um, they exist and I have to learn what to push back on and what to give up and what to reject. And, and so that's a very complicated process, but I would say that the limitations are real. The stresses are real. Some of them are from God. Some of them are just because we are limited human beings, but some of them are not from God. And learning to differentiate um, what things are truly limits from God and what things can you question and push back on has been um, a really necessary category for me because ultimately at the end of the day, pursuing vocation, whether you're a man or woman, is pursuing the call of God in your life. It is pursuing and responding to the voice of God. And when that becomes ultimate, it's going to help you sort through the tensions that are being put upon you within a certain culture, within a certain broken context. And it's gonna help you know whether you're listening to the voice of God and you're responding to that, or you're responding perhaps just to the voice of the people around you or even your own fears within, within yourself. Um, so I've found that the work of responding to God's voice and his call is itself the work of spiritual formation. It's the work of clarifying um, what's happening around me. It's clarifying my own fears, my own um, vices, my own um, struggles, and, and really being honed and shaped so that I hear his voice and his voice alone. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I, I, and I know you draw a lot on natural revelation kind of for that process and, and looking at the created order, um, not just, I, I mean, not starting necessarily with, with context, but not being afraid to engage context, um, through the lens of natural revelation and obviously supernatural revelation with scripture. Um, I know that's been, it seems like it's been an important part of your, uh, theological framework and how you see the world. Your most recent book, you talk about that. We'll kind of get into that a little bit, but you know, I, I, I'm curious kind of how that, um, how you kind of got interested in that or how that became kind of a framework for you. Cause you do talk a lot about what's natural and unnatural and, you know, sometimes that can be tricky, right. Trying to figure out what is part of good God's good design and what has been distorted and twisted through the fall that needs to be redeemed or even resisted or rejected. Um, how did you come to kind of, you know, see the world through the lens of nature and, and the created order? Well, I had the unique um, experience of growing up saturated in scripture, saturated in faith, and also saturated in the natural world. Um, I grew up in a rural context. Um, we were fairly poor. We lived very close to the earth. My dad 
you know, was a homesteader, had the big garden. My entire childhood was either in church or outside. And so I had this unique um, experience that I didn't realize was unique until I was older of having access at simultaneous access to specific revelation, the word of God and general revelation, which is uh, what God reveals about himself in creation. And uh, I think those two things, when I became an adult and I moved into new spaces, I moved out of the spaces of my childhood into new spaces, really helped me come with a different set of questions than the people within those new spaces were asking. So I routinely found myself coming into a new church, a new community, and it seemed like everyone was just content to operate within a set of assumptions and categories that made sense for that community. And I walk in and I would look around and I would say, wait a minute, this, this doesn't align with my previous experience or my knowledge from natural revelation, specific revelation. And even as something as simple as, um, you know, the value that creation and God through creation places on women, I, I don't think we understand the degree to which the entirety of nature relies on the feminine. And so when I move into a context that's somewhat artificially based, somewhat hermetically sealed off from nature, I usually find that there's not as much value placed on women because it's not as necessary. So if you're in a context that really doesn't value, um, you know, just the kinds of ways that if it's a context that's very productive and moving forward and we're, we're, we're I think Wendell Berry calls it the pursuit of the objective, right? And it's just this forward march toward, um, it, it, it is not always a place that understands the complexity and the beauty that comes from, like if you look at nature, it's not, it's very cyclical. It's, it's not this forward progression. It's spring going through the seasons. It's this cycle of life. And I know this may sound a little esoteric and I hope it comes across the way I mean it. Um, growing up in nature, I had profound respect for the feminine because it was through the feminine that we had um, plants grow. It was through the flower that we got the fruit. It was through these life cycles and you could not have um, just a, a, a male expression within nature and see any flourishing. So something as simple as that, mm. when I moved into spaces that didn't seem to have as much parity or much partnership, maybe that's the word I'm looking for. It didn't have clear partnership between male and female. I knew instinctually that those spaces would not bring forth life because mm. I knew from the creation that male and female partnering together was what brought forth life. And I knew that from scripture as well. I could mm. see, you know, it was clearly revealed in scripture that way. Um, so I think growing up within the context of the earth, I learned a different set of paradigms, a different set of questions. And I find that those questions often challenge what we take for granted within our um, constructed communities. Mm. How did you get, so a lot of your work really focuses around, as you mentioned, uh, the ideas around human flourishing, you know, Genesis one and two and three, and um, really is the starting point to that. Um, you know, the Imago Dei, the, uh, the image of God was kind of classically been called the image of God. Um, 
the uh, you know cultural issues, gender specifically, I know has been a passion of yours. How did you get kind of pulled into that, and how has your you know how how's your social context like the your the rural class environment, uh, excuse me, the working class environment, rural community environment, and then kind of this earthiness of your you know exposure to nature. How did that? How has that kind of played into and shaped your approach? You mentioned that a little bit, but. Uh, you know, in the working class environment, I'm curious about that. How did you get involved in these topics? And because um, that, that these are very popular kind of like, you know, um, you know, everybody's kind of seems to be talking about gender, race, cultural issues, history, society, deconstructing things. That doesn't seem to be the, the angle that you've come at these things. You, this has been something that's kind of called to you and beckoned to you, but not something that you're seeking to come in through the lens of just like a purely academic deconstructionism or something, you know? So how did you, how did you get involved with this? Well, I think there's two things I would say to that. Um, I think first, I don't know if this is the case for all writers, but for me, I write to the questions that I have. So if you have read my books, you know what's going on inside of Hannah Anderson. You know the kinds of things that I'm wrestling with. It's not that they're memoir. It's not that, um, I'm just exposing my emotions or my thoughts. It's that these are the questions that I feel pinching me and they're questions that I need to be resolved. And I just assume that if I need them to be resolved, other people need them to be resolved. So a lot of my work is driven by my own experience of um, being somewhat, um, I feel a somewhat of, a, of an outsider perspective on a lot of conversations. And it's more, it is not because of my race. It, it is more because of my socioeconomic position and um, perhaps because of gender. Um, also our family, um, we, we have, uh, my son has been diagnosed with um, autism. And so my, my entire family, it, it's, I have nieces and nephews on the spectrum. And, and there's a question of neurodiversity there too that comes into my writing so I find that for whatever reason God has placed me in a position through socioeconomics through neurodiversity through gender to be on somewhat on the outside looking in and I think that when you think of kind of the center of a conversation or where a lot of our social issues emerge the questions are shaped by the the center so, so there is pushback and there is challenge. Absolutely. I, I don't think that there is this kind of establishment that never um, will entertain questions. But I do think that when the questions arise, they are shaped by the categories of the center. So, so they come to us um, boxed up with the assumptions and paradigms that make sense within the center. And a, a quick example of that is a lot of the debates around women's ministry are shaped around the basic question of, can a woman hold the office of pastor? And that's what it's been reduced to. But even that question itself is shaped by a professional mindset toward ministry of the pastoral role, not just being a leadership role or an elder role, but this is the role that within establishment ministry has been paid. So it's a career question. It's a question of work. And that parallels a lot of the ways that the center understands and defines women's rights. It's a question of marketplace. It's a question of what jobs, equal pay, those kinds of things. 
standing outside of that, being in a socioeconomic context that maybe can barely pay the pastor they have, or the pastor has to act, has to work by vocationally or be a volunteer. It just collapses that entire paradigm. And suddenly the question for me is no longer can a woman be a pastor? It's like, what would it look like for a woman to bring her gifts to the community and the community to see male-female partnerships working together to bring life? And so being in this somewhat off-center place, being, I, I don't consider myself um, oppressed or marginalized, but I do think I'm standing in a different place looking at the questions. And that produces different questions and different answers. It produces entirely different categories. So for me, when I enter into these hot button issues, I generally say, wait a minute, we're not even talking about this in the right way. Let's entertain a different way to even engage in the conversation. And I find that that usually resolves um, some of the most pressing mm. for people mm. and it gives us a way forward. Yeah. So it's almost, yeah, it's a reframing of the conversation. That's not, I mean, I feel like so much of these, the way this is kind of classically handled right now is like the cliche, you grow up in a conservative environment, you go to a progressive university, you know, you deconstruct all of your past and then you come back and you kind of try to burn the house down. Um, and, and that's a really different thing than what you're doing. I mean, I think you, you prophetically critique environments that you're in, but interestingly, you find yourself coming from a more conservative background in conservative spaces, critiquing those spaces because you're bringing a different set of questions and trying to reframe the conversation back to basic assumptions, basic principles. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's important for people to understand about you is that you, you, you're not coming necessarily with an ax to grind or an ideological agenda of, you know, pointing out, calling out and trying to tear down, but rather seeking to reframe and in a sense, you know, rebuild what, um, in a lot of ways is kind of, uh, tearing itself down from the inside out. You know what I mean? I care deeply about flourishing and solutions and all of my work comes with the assumption of a broken context that will only be ultimately redeemed through Christ. So a lot of um, the way I approach issues or questions is with something I call principled pragmatism, which is a recognition of the limits that we exist in, and yet we are moving in a certain way toward the kingdom, that we are going in a certain direct trajectory, certain direction, based on certain virtues, based on certain values. So to define those virtues and values, we cannot rely on positions. We cannot rely on issues. We have to get back to, as you described, the first principles. Like, what would it look like to be a Christian in a broken context? That doesn't mean that everything suddenly becomes perfect. It means that we are acting in a certain way within um, an imperfect space. And so, for me, going back to like Genesis 1, 2, and 3, a lot of my work emerges from that because I'm looking for what was God's original intent? What would it look like to display the glory of God? Now it's through Christ as Christians. What is um, the framework of vocation, regardless of whether you're in the lower class or the middle class or the upper class? Like There are key principles that have to be shared by all because we are made in God's image and we are human. And, and the same for male and female. There have to be these key under 
um, girding callings and principles and shape to our life because we have this shared humanity. So a lot of what I'm trying to do, I'm very, very um, committed to solutions. I'm very, very committed to building and giving people um, a, a, a paradigm, a roadmap that can say, regardless of where you've been placed in this broken context, this is the way forward. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot. I'm reading Stephen King's book on writing right now. He was one of my favorite authors as a kid. And he says the two rules of basically of writing are write what you know and tell it honestly. And, uh, and I think that's really characterizes who you are. You have a deep knowledge of, uh, you know, what you know and where you're coming from as, uh, as a woman coming from a working class community, a rural uh, background, but you're, you're telling it honestly. And that's one of the things I, I appreciate about you is you don't, you're not an idealist, you know, you are very much about building. And I think that's, that's what I'm excited about. I think, you and I both have talked about this that again, there's just so much tearing down. And the question is like, what are, what are we building? And I think a lot of people in our context are experiencing the rapid deconstruction of uh, the cultural frameworks and constructs, which in, within which they live, whether that's the family or uh, in the workplace or uh, just culturally with all the kind of ideological idolatry, polarization, political idolatry stuff that's happening. And the question, I think for a lot of people is just like, it just feels like we're stuck, you know? And so how do we begin to go back to some of those first principles, recover the design while also acknowledging, man, this is really broken. And we've got to start to build new constructs, new solutions, new ways of being. And that's, that's really why spiritual formation has been so important for us. We, we begin to realize, man, we've been deformed in so many ways. And so what does it look like to reform around? We have this tagline that we use, you know, that kind of summarizes this, but it's a lot of what you're talking about. It's just, you know, learning to practice the way of Jesus together for the life of the world. And I think that's, that's what we're interested in is what, what, what are those practices? What are those first principles and what are some of the solutions that will help us get out of some of the morass of the, the either or the binaries that kind of face us on an everyday basis? Yes, and I have found in my own uh, Christian walk that while I had a tremendous amount of scripture knowledge imparted to me as a young person, I did not have a lot of habits and liturgies and spiritual formation. It was until I was in my adulthood that I understood that I was supposed to be changed, that it wasn't simply a matter of, um, you know, adhering to certain standards or um, memorizing certain things or knowing my doctrine upside down and backwards, that it was, um, those were all ways that I was supposed to be formed into the image of Christ, that I was supposed to be changed to, to look like him and reflect his virtue. And so for me, coming from that space where it was not a priority and recognizing the degree to which I felt like I had to catch up, and, and that's not a true category, but it felt like that. It felt like, oh my, I've spent all this time in church and I'm only now beginning to understand what the, the goal was, um, has really pushed my writing in a certain direction and my speaking. I'm always very concerned with who will we become because of these truths? How will we be shaped into the image of God? Um, and to your point about this process needing to be um, constructive rather than destructive, I think we generally lack imagination. And that's one of the things that excites me about this work and even the work um, you know we're going to join into in the next few months is 
we are in a space that is uncharted. It really is. Um, not just for us in our lifetimes, we're looking at a year of loss, a year of, you know, stalled momentum, a, a year of just what is, what is happening. And we can deconstruct that all we want and figure out who to blame and where we should have done things differently. But the truth is we're at a moment where we have to build, we have to heal, we have to create communities that can enter into this moment in time and do it imaginatively. And, and I think even some of the things that are new about this kind of virtual teaching is that we're taking this moment and we're saying, what is possible? What can we accomplish? What opportunities are being offered us in this moment that we would never have thought of except that we're being forced to it? So that's exciting to me because I, I find that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And there are things that God has for us that we would never have pursued except that he forced us to mm -hmm. it. And he created pressures and limitations. And it's an invitation to imagination. It's an invitation to say, if we know the first principles, if we understand the basics, if we're pursuing Christ-likeness, there are so many ways that we can create and really reflect the image of our creator in that process. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm excited about that too. I, I want to do a quick, I want to wrap up because I know we're kind of pushing up against the upper limits of uh uh, probably where people will continue to listen uh, about 40 minutes, but I do want to do a quick commercial for uh, the turning of days podcast. One of the things you and I have talked about collaborating on is just um, your newest book, the T turning of days, which is uh, I'll let you explain more about it, but a series of essays around the seasons. And I'm really, you know, kind of intrigued to think about how this could be a paradigm for re-emerging from the pandemic as we hopefully begin to turn the corner. They're saying, you know, just today that vaccines will be available to all adults who want them by May and people are beginning to come out the weather, at least here in Indies begin to warm up and the sun's out again. And I think that we have this opportunity to, to, uh, to kind of come back out and, and re-emerge stronger and, and more resilient than before. And, and it is a season kind of for dreaming again, imagining again, and building again. Give me a little, just a little, uh, give us a little preview of why you wrote the book and how you see this being useful as we think about spiritual formation, as we think about kind of reclaiming our humanity uh, post-plague <laughs> and what we maybe could be talking about in this podcast. It is um, kind of a hard reset, isn't it? It's like, um, turn it off and turn it back on again and see, see if it works. And I think one of the things I hope for this book, Turning of Days, is that it would model um, a habit and a way of being in the world um, more than, my other books are more um, about teaching and directing folks toward an understanding of a certain theological concept. And this is a set of essays um, framed around the seasons and it is designed to be read over time. It's not designed to be sat down, you know, sit down and just plow your way through it. What I really want and hope folks will do is learn the habits and rhythms of faith and of observation. Um, it is written in connection with observations of natural revelation and specific revelation, hoping that those two 
will pair together for people. Um, but it's also just a way of recognizing that we are part of something larger that God has created that has its own habits and rhythms. And in a lot of ways, what we are called to do is inhabit the rhythms and liturgies that already exist, to discover them um, and to perhaps dial into them to, to kind of tune ourselves to the way that God has made the world. And I think that, um, I know in my, my previous, um, tradition, my faith tradition growing up, um, habit and liturgy wasn't as clearly emphasized. And over the last year or so with the change in our scheduling, I've found that I've been able to more intentionally, um, choose certain practices and habits because other things have been cleared out of the way and given me that space to do that. So I do think this is a really significant time before we rush back into um, what we were all doing a year and a half ago and not thinking about it. This is a chance for us to say, wait a minute, what is the life I want? What are the habits and practices that are most meaningful to me and give me life? And as we slowly reconstruct our lives to make sure that we're putting those in place along with everything else that might come rushing back in. Okay. You got me. I'm in. Let's do this. I'm, uh, I'm really excited. Thanks again, just for the time to get to know you a little bit better. I hope this podcast has been helpful for those who are listening in our church, just to get to know a little bit more about Hannah's story and how she'll be uh, serving our, our body here. Um, Hannah, really grateful. Um, and please tell Nathan, we're really grateful for being able to uh, glean from your gifts as a church. Um, this is an area of real opportunity. And I think hunger for us, we want to, we want to grow, we want to develop. And, um, and I think we're ready to build. So thanks for entering in with us. Thanks for the time today. And I'm really looking forward to this uh, new collaboration.